Hey everyone, it's me, Grace, and Madeline's not here. This is another Grace's Reading Corner episode in which I ramble on about something that only I care about. (laughs) It's not exactly true. Madeline also cares about this book, but being with what things are this summer, as you've noticed this month especially, we have not put out a full-length episode yet. I decided to go ahead and record this special episode about the final book in the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce, Briar's book. We had a full-length episode on Daja's book, book number three, but Briar's book was actually my favorite when I was a kid. Madeline had never read the series before, and I felt completely cruel throwing her in at the final book in the Circle of Magic. So we went with Daja's. We loved it. I think it's a great episode. Go check it out if you haven't heard it yet. But I also had a lot to say about Briar's book, especially after rereading it and essentially entering a fugue state of nostalgia because, my God, I've read this probably 200 times. If you heard my other Grace's Reading Corner episode on Ogre Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine, I just want to give you a heads up that this one is very different. I didn't write anything. This is just a good old fun timey ramble. So I know that... People weren't the biggest fans of that episode, which I'm totally fine with because it's very critical and that's not really the Dragon Baby's MO. Um, So let me know if you like this style. I'd love to do more Grace's Reading Corners in the future as I continue rereading a series that we maybe only cover the first book from um, because we just, there's so many authors and series that we want to get to. So we kind of need to keep moving and it's hard for us to do a few from the same series, but I'm definitely interested in exploring them all by myself. So shoot us an email, dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Comment on Instagram, dragonbabiespodcast, Twitter, dragonbabiespod. Let us know if you like this and if you'd like more of these little mini episodes. Thanks so much for listening. So without further ado, Briar's Book by Tamara Pierce. For those who haven't visited the Circle of Magic series in a while, I'll just give a quick rundown of what it's all about and who Briar, our titular boy, really is. So the Circle of Magic series is about four friends who are brought together from very different walks of life by a group of mages because they possess natural skills for magic. The four children are Sandry, who has thread weaving magic. I will say that her skill is the one that's the most difficult to categorize, especially when you're a kid trying to maybe explain these books to someone else, if someone will talk to you about books. The second is Triss, who has control over natural elements, mainly the weather, wind, rain, things like that. Daja has control over metal and fire, and she is a smith mage, a blacksmith. And then Briar is the one who is featured in Briar's book. He has plant magic. From the start, as a child, I feel like Briar is the one that is the most compelling. And I guess on a pers- I should say all this on a personal level, not universal, but not only does he have plant magic, which is something that I've kind of yearned for <laughs> my entire life and like to think that I have possessed some degree of skill in, at least with plant care. When I was in college, I actually had a job taking care of the plants in my college's science building, which was very fun. Also a lot of weird encounters with folks wandering around asking if the plants are being watered. 
I seriously came across a girl who was watering the plants one day while I was working. And she was like, oh, I just figured no one was taking care of them. And I was like, they look fine. And also, hi, it's me with my little cart filled with watering cans. (laughs) That's neither here nor there. I feel like the only way there could be a character who has a more compelling natural ability would be if there were one who could fully talk to animals, um, which, of course, is like most children's magical dream. I'm speaking universally again. Anyway, not only does Briar have plant magic, he's also someone who is referred to throughout this series as a former street rat um, because he was a homeless boy who was living in kind of the sub-society in the sewers of the town that he grew up in, Hajra, and he was also a thief. Of the four main characters, I would say that Daja and Briar have the interesting or more compelling backstories, whereas Triss and Sandry, while they, I don't mean to discount them as characters and they do have a lot going on, but they're both of uh, wealthy families and Sandry in particular is of noble birth and her great uncle is the Duke, a Duke, um, and Triss's parents are merchants. Daja and Briar come from really fascinating backgrounds that are not only very different from what you would find in a lot of typical YA fantasy novels, um, but also within their own world in Emelon. Daja is a traitor. We talk at great length about her and traitor culture in our Daja's book episode, so check that out. Um, and Briar, because he was a street rat and came from his own separate but very kind of unknown community, it's so cool to enter back into Hajra and see him with his old friends and also kind of fighting between the different versions of himself. He now lives what is a very comfortable daily life. Um, he has his home at Winding Circle and he's learning to be a mage, and he is so amazed to realize when he enters the mire again that he is so uncomfortable being in the sewer surroundings and being dirty, and that he's very conscious of his clothing and things like that, um, that he used to not give a second thought because he didn't have the luxury of doing so. He lived on the streets. And it's really fascinating watching him switch back and forth between those two polar opposite worlds, between Winding Circle, which is such an academic focused sort of higher learning institution, and the mire where the residents are just trying to survive. I always loved as a kid the any story that was about a child thief or about someone who had any kind of, you know, street smart mischief about them. When I was quite young, I think in second grade, I got a book called The Whipping Boy by Sid Fleischman. I don't know if anyone else has read that. Um, I loved it, even though it's a very brutal and pretty dark. It is also a Newbery Medal winner, so you know that we fetishize Newbery Medals around here at Dragon Babies, Um, and is about a boy who, and I'm doing all this from memory, so I'm sorry if I'm getting details wrong, a boy who is sent to be a whipping boy for a spoiled prince, Um, and the whipping boy himself was an orphan, and 
he really like his life is just violence and um, finding whatever scraps of food he can to eat. And the prince and the boy end up going on a journey. Um, when the prince runs away, there's a dancing bear and like a horrible circus type place and a lot of baked potatoes. Check it out. <laughs> but the whipping boy really set me up to adore Briar's book because there are some of the same themes um, of being like a scrappy kid who has no adults providing anything for them and needing to take whatever you can. Um, and sewers feature prominently in both books as well. Speaking of reading about sewers at length, um, definitely more difficult to do as an adult. I think as a child, I you know, you see everything in a fantasy book as just kind of in this nice light. And even as people are talking about how horrific the smell is and that there's human waste floating by, also bespelled human waste that has brought a deadly pox to the the neighborhood, um, which makes it much more frightening than just poop, <laughs> just frightening enough, is much more upsetting. And I am always impressed by Tamara Pierce and the veracity that she brings to all of her work, even if it's set, even if it's about magic, even if it's set in this really fantastical realm. Um, it always feels true, even when it is about something like walking through a sewer. Speaking of the blue pox, it is a much more interesting enemy and source of conflict than my child self, my child reader self, maybe gave it credit for. I thought it was fascinating to have an accidental enemy and that there was a lot of realism in that too, as opposed to some kind of targeted force. Because the blue pox comes about because a mediocre mage is attempting to create a fat loss slash weight loss drug um, and accidentally creates something horrifying that does indeed make you lose your fat, but then you die after going through a horrific fever. And instead of disposing of it in the proper way through a paid channel disposal method, the mage decided to just dump it into the sewers. So that was also a rare look, I think, at the downside of the general populace having access to magic and to these kinds of skills, um, which I don't think fantasy really investigates enough. And thinking about it, I felt like I could see some of the origins of Tempest and Slaughter, the book about New Mare's past and childhood that Tamara Pierce released a couple of years ago, um, which is so focused on magical education and is honestly <laughs> gave me, it just scratched that itch that I always have for getting to see what a magic school is really like to be a student at on a day-to-day -day basis. I like Tempest and Slaughter better than Harry Potter for actually giving that element of story. I like Harry Potter for all of the exciting events that take place. I think the plot is very good, but I think that there are times where the actual schooling itself really takes backstage, which makes sense. Voldemort is coming to destroy the world. Why am I talking about Harry Potter? Anyway, I felt like that all started here because... 
Tamara Pierce got to dive into what it's like to be in a world with magic and with these skills. Not to mention the medieval fantasy lab that we spend a lot of time in in this book, which I am pretty obsessed with. I think it's really fascinating seeing things like what a lab looks like with no plastics, like without technically actual sterile equipment, and what the introduction of magic would also make that look like. Um, I found the appeal of the spelled cotton clothing and that type of protection against infection uh, to be really appealing. Uh, But there's also, like I said, they can't actually create a sterile environment because they don't have some of these modern materials and technologies and capabilities. So even with magic, someone spills, someone makes a mistake, and that leads to Rose Thorn becoming infected with the blue pox. That spell, the cotton clothing that the scientists, that the mages use when they're in the lab, is also representative of something I loved as a kid, loved today, which is the really intense tactile nature of this book. Um, It feels so sensory in a really strong way. That's both negative and positive tactile moments, like trudging through the sewers and that experience that I was talking about, but then also these really inviting moments, like being surrounded by soothing plants that actually actively and immediately help to heal you spelled pendants that represent your loved ones through which you can speak with them and just all that fresh cotton clothing like there's just there's so much clean laundry in this book and maybe I'm just betraying my 31 almost 32 year old self but I just it just felt nice I just really liked that and as we've said before Tamara Pierce definitely has a fixation with clothing and I felt that that really came out here as well Speaking of Tamara Pierce's literary fetishes, I have long been aware of her obsession with tea, and it is front and center in Briar's book. It makes sense because we spend a lot of time in a hospital and with folks who are very ill with a deadly pox, and they got to drink their willow bark tea if they have even a hope of getting any better. There is so much willow bark tea in this book, (laughs) chapters where I'm pretty sure it's mentioned on every single page. And even though it's also described as disgusting just about as many times as it appears, I really crave it. And after reading this book, I just want to drink like 20 cups of tea until I fall down in my own little tea puddle and can't go on. I also... I knew this on some level, but had not really consciously considered that willow bark tea is an actual drink that is derived from willow bark and is used as a homeopathic pain relief remedy. I did my best. I if I if I had my druthers, I would have actually drunk some before recording this, but I did my best to try to find a description of what it actually tastes like and saw that it has, quote, this is from Tom's Carolinian Trees.blogspot.com, an exceptionally pleasant, earthy flavor and aroma. It may be slightly bitter depending on the species of willow and the condition of the bark used, but this can easily be solved by adding some sugar or honey to counteract it with sweetness. 
So I know that this is a fantasy novel, so things can work however you'd like for them to work. And these are all children who are describing the tea as disgusting. So I didn't love tea when I was quite young. All I ever had, though, was black tea, I believe. Um, So it's kind of hard for me to say, you know, just like the Lipton's black tea. Um, So I don't know if herbal would have been more appealing, but I do understand the kids describing it that way. Um, And sadly, that's like most of the food that we get in the book because we're in quarantine a lot of the time and people are very ill and they're not interested in feasting. Like, I get it. I get it. But I do appreciate the respect and honestly worship with which tea is treated. Something else that is just great about this book that I think is all too rare in children's and YA fantasy literature is an exploration of class and the way in which the widespread disease affects the lower income classes versus the nobility Uh, In the end of this book, the plague does spread to the rich, but for the first half, I was really reminded of the AIDS crisis and the way in which the disease was restricted to a certain group of people and also brought out some biases in others, like Triss's biases especially, which are shown at different moments throughout the Circle of Magic series because she comes from a wealthy merchant family and isn't always interested in expanding her boundaries um although she she always recognizes the wrong in the things that she has said after the fact she still has some unpleasant moments and there are some of those here where she is furious that because she can't look past her friendship with Briar and her anger and Rose Thorne as well and her anger at the two of them being trapped in quarantine because they visited the mire and because they're helping Flick, Briar's friend who is very sick and saying that they should be able to just essentially leave the poor folks by themselves to all get pox and die. And that's also connected to Briar's ability to kind of switch between these two worlds, um, going back to his past and then into his present and allowing folks from both to communicate and coexist with each other. So I really enjoyed that. And I thought that that was very important. Speaking of Rose Thorne, Briar's dedicated mage teacher and one of the main characters in this book and the entire series, but she gets some good highlights here. I love Rose Thorne so much. She is the kind of woman that I wanted to be when I was young and first reading this and the kind of woman that I still aspire to be today. She doesn't take nonsense, doesn't take guff, but at the same time is compassionate and isn't worn down by her constant and ongoing dedication to serve and help others and the world. And she's also, fascinatingly, I think a bit of an introvert. Um, This isn't articulated in the book or anything. I'm editorializing a little bit. But when she is quarantined and trapped with people and forced to be a nurse, and then after that, forced to work in a laboratory with a large team to try to come up with a magical cure for the pox. She becomes so exhausted and depleted and Briar has to bring her plants to help perk her up and give her some sunlight. 
Um, and she says in one of those moments that she just isn't meant to be nursing, but that she's going to do it because she's there and she knows what to do. And there are people that are dying and she is committed to that. Um, I'm just so impressed by her. And I think she is such a special teacher. I love that we get this really intimate look at her afterlife because Briar goes to save her after she has died when she is very, very ill at the end of her pox journey. And her afterlife is a giant, unkempt garden for her to work in, um, filled with mosses and vines and battling weeds around the trees and bushes and flowers. Um, and she doesn't want to go home because she's ready to move forward and she's been in pain and she's been so sick. Uh, but Briar drags her back in the end and both of them really gain family in one another. Um, and I, something I love about this series is that there isn't romantic love, but there is such deep and abiding friendship love. And I think that's so valuable for kids and adults too to experience. I mean, your relationships with your friends can be just as rewarding as romantic relationships. And as you know, Madeline and I both hate it when fantasy stories have to end with a marriage between the main character and their prince or princess or whoever else it is that they helped along the way and have exchanged a few paragraphs of dialogue with. Um, so I love the way that we get to see everyone's relationships grow throughout this series and that it culminates in them all just essentially being happy to go back home together and continue to learn and teach one another. That is so satisfying and also really touching. And, you know, it makes you jealous that you can't head on into Winding Circle with Triss and Sandry and Daja and Briar. Rereading Briar's book also led me to really respect the way in which Tamara Pierce structured the entire Circle of Magic quartet. We get the personal spotlights on each of the four young mages with each of the four books, but this book also offers a culmination of each of their skills that they've been working on and honing, as well as the friendship between the four of them that I mentioned. Um, even though it's technically Briar's turn, because of the way that the pox affects their teacher, Rose Thorne, and their group as a whole, they each get an opportunity to wield their craft in an impressive way. And I think that is really appropriate for book four in the quartet without it having to feel like there needs to be some kind of massive battle. Um, these We talked about this in our Dodgers book episode, but these four books are smaller scale and more personal than a lot of other Tamara Pierce series um, because while there are large scale and significant events that happen. The series is more concerned with the personal growth of each of the characters than uh, some kind of political or military or religious movement that's taking place. Um, as with like the Lioness Quartet, um, with Wild Magic and Protector of the Small. I mean, really everything's set in Tortal, but this is Avalon. <laughs> this is different. Um, and I just like that. I like 
getting that kind of breath of fresh air um, a lot of fantasy books are concerned with those larger intricate plots like kind of high fantasy like Lord of the Rings style um, shenanigans um, but I just want to sit and drink tea with Briar and Rose Thorn while they help her heal from blue pox and from her seizure that he ends up bringing her back through death into life from so we see the four of them continue to grow their inexplicable, intense bond, um, but also working independent of that bond. When they're working as a group, that continues to rise throughout the book until it culminates and them entering the world of death to rescue Rose Thorn. And when they're apart, they're working on different components to help assist with the pox cure research and with the nursing of those who have been affected. Daja makes her spelled pox sample boxes. Sandry makes antimicrobial fabrics. Triss attempts to turn away the storm that ends up rising the sewer levels and spreading the pox and also cites that the pox is magical in nature, which is a very exciting moment in the lab. There's so much, so much fun with STEM in this book and Briar's revitalization of Willowbark and then just some simply excellent practical lab work, which I can always appreciate. It's interesting to revisit this book because when I was young and reading a lot, I thought I was going to be a doctor or work in a lab, something along those lines, something in a scientific field, which is very different from the way that my life ended up working out. But I'm very happy, no regrets. Um, but I do like remembering like young Grace getting excited about the science, sciencey moments. <laughs> this book and I think that that's pretty telling too and I'm sure there's other science-minded kids who appreciated it as well so those were all of my reminiscences and realizations while rereading Briar's book I would love to hear what all of yours are um, if you've reread this recently or if listening to this has brought anything back for you. Um, so please get in touch and let us know your own feelings. We are on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod. Our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com and you can shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. We are a little behind in answering emails right now, so my apologies if you have one waiting that you haven't heard back from, but we will respond soon and we read them all immediately and love them so much. So I really appreciate all of you for writing. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Hope you are having a great August. We will be back soon with a normal full-length episode. We're recording it this coming week on The Arrows of the Queen by Mercedes Lackey. So stay tuned for that. Happy reading. Happy reading.